cracking, everybody? Welcome back, and thanks so much for joining me here for episode number 26 of the What's Cracking podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Harrelson, and we're coming at you today, Wednesday, July 13th, 2016, with episode 26. Again, thanks so much for joining me here. Don't forget, you can also join me on my social medias. Check us out at uh, Facebook and Twitter. We're at What's Cracking on both of the well, I think What's Cracking Pod on Twitter, and then just What's Cracking on Facebook. You can always find me on Twitter at Chris N. Harrelson, and on Facebook at Zombie Chris Harrelson. Of course, that is in reference to my work as a featured walker on The Walking Dead, which I'm now in my third season of performing on that show. And uh, I think so far I've been 27 walkers, including what we filmed for this season. And I've been killed 13 times so far, so I'm keeping right along with that 50% ratio. I was at about a 50% death rate at the end of Season 1, at the end of Season 2, and so far through Season 3. Although I can't give you any more details beyond that. But I appreciate you being here with me today. Uh, And if you're anywhere near Central North Florida, or just anywhere in that area, in Florida and Georgia... Uh, head down to Lake City, Florida this weekend and hang out with me at InfinityCon. This is the second year for InfinityCon, and it is my second year there as a guest. I was there last year at the inaugural edition, which was a one-day event. This year, it is greatly expanded. It's two days this year, and they've got a really good guest list, guys. Uh, along with uh, me, there will be Michael Kosky uh, from The Walking Dead, and uh, then we have some actual real people that you've heard of in real life, uh, not, not us zombies. Uh, Edward James Olmos, who a lot of people recognize from his work on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and from Battlestar Galactica. But for me, he will always be Jaime Escalante in the movie Stand and Deliver. We watched that in high school, and uh, I thought it was a really powerful performance by him. Even as a teenager, I could tell that, uh, that he was special, and um, yeah, it's just a great movie. If you've never seen Stand and Deliver, I highly recommend it. It's about a uh, Hispanic teacher in an inner-city school working with at-risk kids and uh, you know behavior problems and that type of stuff, and he's able to reach them and teach them and gets them to pass like the AP Calculus exam and all sorts of shit. I uh, hope I didn't just spoil it for you, but the movie's probably like 25 years old now anyway, so you know what? That's on you. So he will be there along with a lot of other people from Battlestar Galactica. That's kind of the big draw at Infinity Con this weekend. It's like a, a Battlestar reunion. I've never been a fan of Battlestar Galactica. I never watched it. Um, I am, I think, a snob when it comes to like space-type films because I grew up on Star Wars, and the storytelling is so good, the... Um, visual effects are done so well that I always compared everything else to it, and I was always like, this looks like shit. And uh, it doesn't look as good as Star Wars, so I'm not going to waste my time watching it. That's on me. I'm sure I've missed out on a lot of good shit, uh, because I have pre... uh, I was going to say prejudged notions, but I guess that would be prejudices, wouldn't it? Uh, Yeah, I have prejudices against space films because I'm such a big Star Wars fan, so it's got to be fucking good for a, a TV show... See, and, and it's one thing with movies, but it's even worse on TV, because obviously TV doesn't have the budget of, of uh, Hollywood films. So when I was a kid, and I enjoyed Star Trek The Next Generation, but it's like when I'm watching it, I'm like, this looks like shit. You know, the shit in Aliens, and in obviously Star Wars looks a lot better than this. So that's the lens through which I have always viewed Battlestar Galactica, but that's on me. I should probably give it a shot. 
Uh, also there will be one of my favorite comic book artists, George Perez, will be there on Sunday only. I think uh, George lives in Florida, so he does a lot of appearances at conventions around there, but I'm a huge fan of his. He's worked on just tons of stuff. I mean, th literally thousands of books. Uh, I last saw him at SC Comic Con in South Carolina back in uh, April, and I got five autographs from him that day. He autographed my Superman number one from the New 52, uh, my Infinite Crisis number two, my Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds number one with Superboy Prime on the cover, like one of my favorite comic book characters of all time. Uh, he autographed my Superman Last Stand of Krypton number two. He drew the cover on that. And he autographed my DC Universe number zero. This year, I got a few books to take with, him, with me for him to sign as well. I've got my... Justice League of America, number zero, from 2006. This uh, is a book with a lot of different artists in it. It was It's kind of like a jump-on point uh, for new readers. So he had a part uh, in this book, and I also had this book signed by, uh, I think it was Carl Story. No, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Carl Story. It was Dexter Vines. That's right, Dexter Vines signed this. So now I'm going to have his autograph and George Perez's on it. Then I got my Legion of or Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds number four and my Superman number six from the New Fifty Two. He he wrote the first six issues of Superman uh, back in two thousand and eleven, and I got him to sign the first one already. And I I was having I was trying to decide between the next five which one I wanted to take, and I just really like the cover on this one. It's like an evil Superman standing over a beaten down Supergirl, and it's just a sweet cover. So. Taking those with me for some autographs, and I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Also, at Infinity Con are going to be my friends slash clients, Mark Who 42 uh, and Charles Stark with the Florida Con Artists. He does a phenomenal Tony Stark. Check him out on the Florida Con Artist Facebook page, or you can go to heroesonhand.com to check out us and uh, all of our shit. So, yep, that's our housekeeping notes for this week. Infinity Con coming up this weekend, and I hope to see some of you there. So, as I said, Battlestar Galactica apparently is a TV show that I need to get into. One of my friends from high school, Matt Cafaro, we're on kind of like a similar nerd level. We like a lot of the same nerd shit. He's been recommending it to me for years. So, you know what, Matt? I'm finally going to take you up on your offer. I, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to TV shows. I don't get on shows usually at the jump-on point. I, like, at the beginning, I usually come later and stream it and get into it and then fucking crush it on streaming, which is what I just did with what is now one of my favorite shows of all time, HBO's The Wire. If you have not watched The Wire, I highly recommend it. This is a show about which I've heard a great deal in the time since it started. I think it started in like the like early to mid-2000s, like 2003, 2004, something like that maybe. Um, 
But it ran five seasons on HBO, and I believe the seasons are between 10 and 13 episodes. But this is one of the shows that, uh, one of the first, like, huge critically acclaimed dramas on pay cable that everyone said was just fucking phenomenal. And when I was a huge fan of Breaking Bad, it, and I still am, uh, it seemed like people were always comparing the two. Like, which one is the greatest show of all time, Breaking Bad or The Wire? And I was like, shit, I can't compare them because I've never seen The Wire. I didn't have HBO until about four or five months ago, probably. And the HBO DVDs and Blu-rays were all like kind of expensive, so I wasn't going to get into it, you know? Um, but I think it might be on Netflix, or at least it was at one point in time. But I now have HBO through my Xfinity subscription. So I have HBO On Demand, which has like all the shit they've ever done, basically. And... Yeah, I watched all five seasons of The Wire, and I gotta say, it is as good as people say it is. If you've now, I'm not gonna go into details and spoil it, you know, for anyone who has not watched it. But in my opinion, it was a steady build through the first four seasons, with the fourth season being the absolute crescendo, the height, the best season of the show, and then season five kind of lost me until the end, and that was because. I thought some of the characters exhibited motivations and behaviors which were greatly out of character for them based on what had been established in the previous seasons. Like, it seemed like they were doing some crazy shit just to uh, reach their end goal. And I get that, I guess, that's what the story was going for, but I didn't buy it. I didn't really believe a lot of the things that, especially two of the main detectives who were kind of like working on the outside of the actual police force, you know, making their own rules basically and con conducting their own investigation. The things that those two guys did in that fifth season didn't really fit for me based on what they had done in the previous seasons, so it was kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around that. But overall, talking about all five episodes, or all five seasons of the show, the writing is fantastic. The directing is uh, is really good, and in TV, it's it's directed by a lot of different people usually, so it's really good to see that kind of like consistency throughout the the seasons. The acting, on in most instances, phenomenal. Like there are a couple of actors with which I had a problem, but when they're surrounded by so many other like really quality uh, performers, it it sort of raises everyone's level a little bit, I guess, and. All around, just a phenomenal show. It's and if you haven't seen it, I'll give you a little bit about it. it. It takes place in Baltimore, and it's about like the Baltimore, and it's about the Baltimore Police Department and the Baltimore gangs. So you got like the drug trade and murders and shit going on, and then you've got the Baltimore Police Department trying to bust, you know, trying to take them down. And it's called The Wire because in season one they get a wiretap to listen to phone calls and build their case against these uh, drug dealers and gangsters and shit. And that theme of The Wire basically carries throughout the next five seasons in different iterations. But you have... Uh, each season kind of kind of focuses on a different part of Baltimore. Like, one season takes place at the docks. Another season takes place down at, like, the... Um, in the projects. Another season focuses on kind of like the inner city schools. And so you have different settings for each season, but with a lot of the similar characters, you know, uh, moving throughout. And it's just really, really well done. And there's definitely threads that begin in the very first season and carry all the way through to the end. There are shocking deaths. There are deaths, well, they're shocking 
in the manner in which they take place, but also in the fact that a lot of the times you just don't see it coming. It's random, and I guess that's a commentary on a lot of violence in the inner cities. Like, there's a lot of random shit that happens, and motherfuckers who are running shit one day can be dead the next, and that's just how it goes. So, I highly recommend uh, The Wire. Um, you know, there were a couple of my fa- couple characters that I really liked that I thought died too soon, and it pretty well upset me because... I wanted to see them throughout the rest of the series, but I watched it in a you know pretty truncated span, probably a few weeks. So it's not like a character died in, in season three, and then I had to watch the show for the next two years without them. Like you know, it was only a few weeks. But all in all, uh, The Wire has moved to the very top of my list as far as shows that I like. I'd say it's in my top ten for sure. It's up there with like Breaking Bad, Seinfeld, NYPD Blue. Um, yeah, man, give it a shot. HBO is only fourteen ninety nine a month. If you don't have it through your cable or satellite provider, you can just straight up get HBO and stream it for fourteen ninety nine a month, and the first thirty days are free. So you could conceivably watch The Wire and never pay a dime if you canceled your fucking service. But check it out. I'm sure it's available on iTunes as well, and it's probably pretty cheap now that it's been over for, for a few years. Uh, and, and a lot, if you're Walking Dead fans, which I know a lot of people are who listen to this podcast, you'll see a lot of your favorite actors on The Wire, such as Lawrence Gilliard Jr., uh, Chad Coleman, Seth Gilliam. All three of those guys were series regulars on The Wire and then went on to work on The Walking Dead. So if you like any of those guys at all, fucking check out The Wire. And I just looked up The Wire on iTunes, and it looks like the five seasons are $29.99 each or $74.99 for the complete series. So buy two and a half seasons, get two free. That's a fucking good deal right there. I'll take it. Now, I'll admit, I don't, I don't buy a lot of TV shows through iTunes because so much of that is available on Hulu and Netflix and especially uh, On Demand. Uh, Xfinity On Demand is great. You can find back episodes of almost anything. And again, if you have HBO or Showtime subscription, you can get all that shit on On Demand. But I know a lot of people prefer digital and don't have like a cable service, so $74.99 for The Wire is pretty good for, uh, for a, full, a full series. Um, yeah, I, just, I don't do too many TV shows on iTunes. Um, I am downloading a TV show right now on iTunes because I was checking out, you know, checking out their TV show options today. And my daughter is a big fan of Sophia the First. For you people with young daughters and uh, Disney Channel on your TV subscription, you'll probably know what the fuck I'm talking about. Sophia the First is on in my house every single day. And this new show, Elena of Avalor, I guess is like a spinoff of that. She's another princess in Avalor, but I think she's like the first Hispanic princess in Disney or something like that. Uh, Certainly the first non-white princess with her own TV show dedicated to her as not just like a guest star or whatever. Um, But that's a new show that is premiering soon, and the first episode of it is free on iTunes right now. So you can download episode one. I think it's 24 minutes. So I'm going to download that and put it on my daughter's iPad without telling her, and then when she opens it up, she's going to be like, what is this? And I'll be like, I don't know. Let's check it out. So if you've got a little girl that is into that Sophia the First then uh, download this Elena of Avalor for free right now. You get the first episode, and then I guess it'll come on TV you know, pretty soon. Um, they've also got some really good TV deals going on right now. One of my favorite shows is Fresh Off the Boat. I love that show. It's fucking hilarious. And right now they've got season one for only $14.99. That's less than a dollar an episode. That's like 
66 cents an episode or something like that. Pretty cl- No, even less than that, because there's like 22 episodes in the season. So, yeah, fresh off the boat. I'm a big fan of that show, but again... I do mostly movies on iTunes. I'm, I'm a big movie fan, and you can't find movies streaming as easily as you can, uh, TV shows. So I will now give you my iTunes movie pick of the week. Nothing huge came out this week. It looks like The Boss with Melissa McCarthy was the big uh, release this week on iTunes, and I ain't with it. I ain't with it. I'm not a fan of Melissa McCarthy. I don't like her stick to me. She's almost like... I won't say she's like Will Ferrell, but in my mind, my opinion of her is that of Will Ferrell. Like, a little bit goes a fucking long way. If she's here and there every now and then, like, in something, I can take it. But as, like, the star of something, like, nah, it's just it's just not going to work for me. I've been hating on Melissa McCarthy since Gilmore Girls, and that was a long time ago. But my wife loves that show, and I can't... Stand it. So basically, everyone associated with that show, I have a negative opinion of, and that's—I mean—that's that's a true statement. But I really didn't like her character on the show, Suki. She was just grating. She, uh, she got on my fucking nerves. And then she started blowing up. I started seeing her like starring in all these comedies and stuff, and I'm like, this chick? Yeah, I just didn't see it. You know, I'll be skipping the boss this week. But they're uh, under eight dollars in HD category this week is music movies. Again, this is not really my forte. I don't get down with the music movies for the most part. But they got a couple good ones on here. We got The Doors, which is the Oliver Stone film with Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison. That's only $6.99 right now. That is a really good movie, and that that price is pretty hard to beat. Uh, The other films on here, I guess Singing in the Rain. That's obviously a good one uh, with Gene Kelly. I don't really get down with any of these other ones, though, to be honest. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Purple Rain. That's a good one. But, you know, Billy Elliot, Mamma Mia, Sweeney Todd, Fiddler on the Roof, Rent. Uh, I, like the, I like the play Rent. I, I didn't like the movie. Oh, here's another good one. Hairspray. That's fucking classic. You know, the, uh, the 1988 film with Ricky Lake? Yeah, that's a good one. So, yeah, I might actually pick this one up. Hairspray is under $8 in HD this week on iTunes. But uh, if I had to narrow those down, my pick of the week, my number one, would be The Doors. Now, don't forget, iTunes is also doing what they call Blockbuster July, where they have a different um, film on sale for $4.99 each day of the month. Yesterday, it was Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is kind of garbage. Today, it's Ex Machina. So for only $4.99, Ex Machina. If you haven't seen that movie, it's fucking great. There's only a few actors in it, and it basically takes place in like one setting, but it's kind of a mind trip, and it, it has um, two actors from Star Wars The Force Awakens, Domino Gleason, and also, uh, what's Buddy's name that played Poe Dameron? Oh yeah, Oscar Isaacs. They're both in it. So um, yeah, Ex Machina, if you're listening to this podcast today on Wednesday, Get that shit for $4.99 before it's gone at midnight. And uh, those are my iTunes picks of the week. Not a whole lot going on in movie releases this week. Well, I'm sorry, at least as far as I'm concerned. The new Ghostbusters comes out. I ain't seen it. And look, I've got no anti-woman bias. I've got no uh, claim that this movie is going to destroy my childhood, like, I love Ghostbusters, Uh, I was born in 1981, so I grew up with that movie, I've known it literally my whole life, I even love Ghostbusters too, I know people that hate on it, I fucking love that movie, I just love the characters, it's good shit to me, 
this movie just doesn't look good. Like, I've watched the trailers, I've and again, the Melissa McCarthy angle definitely comes into play here. But even disregarding my personal, like, negative feelings towards her performances, and she might be a lovely lady, I'm not talking bad on her, you know, personally, but even disregarding that, just watching the trailers and the commercials... It doesn't look funny to me. I don't like the jokes that I've seen. I really don't like the effects. They look kind of shitty. And at first, I thought, well, they're just releasing footage that hasn't been completed yet. Like, in post-production, they'll clean it all up. It'll look a lot better. I don't think that's the case. Like, I've read several reviews by people who I respect. And one of them is Richard Roper with the Chicago Sun-Times. And he just crushed the movie. He gave it one star... And he laid out his case for why the movie wasn't good. And it was nothing about the females being, you know, the, it wasn't about females being Ghostbusters. It wasn't about, you know, this is a poor imitation of the original. Although there, there were some instances that he pointed out where it referenced the original and it probably shouldn't have. Like, either follow along with the original and be a part of that, be in that timeline and in that world, or just ignore it and reboot it completely. Don't wink at it, don't nod at that, because that's going to pull people back into that world, and they're going to start comparing it. So, his he pointed out that he thought the cameos were forced, and that they didn't make sense in the, the um, you know, in the storyline of the film, and I don't want that. Like, I want the movie to stand on its own merit, or to be, like, a continuation. Now, if it was, like, you know, again, I'm not concerned with it destroying my childhood. The, the original Ghostbusters still exists. I just bought it on Blu-ray, like, a few months ago. And, um, actually, last week on iTunes, they had the Ghostbusters double feature for $9.99. It's already gone up to $19.99 now. But, you know, I'm fine with them rebooting it if it's good. I'm fine with them rebooting it with females if it's good. I'm fine with it being a continuation of the other storyline with females, if it's good. Like, if they are, if one or two of them are the daughters of the original crew or whatever, or if they're, like, trained by them, that's all good to me, if it's a good movie. But nothing about this looks good, so I'm not going to spend my money to see it. And it's weird to me, there's a campaign out there of people that are like, you should go see this movie and spend your hard-earned money and spend your time in the theater watching this movie even if you don't care anything about it, you should do it just to shut up the haters. Now, I've never seen anything like this in a Hollywood film before. People campaigning for people to see it, even if they don't want to see it, just to shut up some assholes or some idiots that are talking shit. Like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. But I ain't falling for that shit. You ain't getting my $8. I will check it out on HBO when that shit is on there, probably by the end of the year. So while it doesn't seem to be a good week for films, at least in my opinion, it's a great week for comic books. So in just a second, I'll get into the books that I read last week, but let me go ahead and tell you about the books that I will be uh, picking up later on today. Of course, I am a big fan of DC Comics, and those are the books that I buy in the stores generally. I read Marvel Comics on my Marvel Unlimited app on my iPad, and I have a subscription to that, and I can read any book that they've made, as long as it's like six months old. So I don't really read new issues of Marvel, but you know, I, I, I'm about six months behind. But with DC, that's what I have on my pull list, and there are a couple exceptions. I have a couple of other items on my pull list, but it's, you know, 90% DC. And this week, I'll be picking up Action Comics number 959. I've really enjoyed the uh, recent 
um, Action Comics uh, revitalization, I guess you could call it. I will also be picking up Detective Comics number 936, um, Flash number 2, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps Rebirth number 1. That comes out this week. And then the one that I am most excited about, Nightwing Rebirth number 1. So... Dick Grayson is, like, my favorite comic book character of all time. When I was a kid, I really liked the Robin character. I liked Robin on the old Batman 1966 TV show. I liked uh, him on Super Friends. I liked him in the comics. And then he became Nightwing, and uh, I I really dig Nightwing. And I will refer back to Dick Grayson in a little while when I talk about the uh, Batman comic that I read this past week, uh, because he is mentioned in there. But, uh, yeah, Dick Grayson's always been my favorite character, and I am super stoked for Nightwing Rebirth. That and Super Sons are the two books that I'm most excited about with DC Rebirth. And if you don't know about Super Sons, that's the book that's coming either in August or September that focuses on Superman and Batman's children. So Batman's son, Damian Wayne, who is the current Robin, and Superman's son, Jonathan Kent, who I guess is going to be the new Superboy, maybe, and I will reference that very shortly, too. So, yeah, those are my books for this week. Wonder Woman number two also comes out this week. I'm not sold on that. I liked Wonder Woman Rebirth, kind of. I liked Wonder Woman number one a good bit, but I've never been a huge Wonder Woman fan, so you know what? I might pick up this book today. And if I like it, then I'll add it to my pull list. It's not on my list yet, but we'll see what happens. But, yep, those are the uh, those are the books that I'll be picking up this week. But now to tell you about the books that I enjoyed reading from last week. So last week at the comic shop, I picked up Batman number 2, Superman number 2, Green Lanterns number 1, Aquaman number 2, and The Walking Dead number 156. So let's go ahead and start it off with my man, Superman. Superman Superman number two. course, that was George's own R.E.M. with Superman off the Life's Rich Pageant album. R.E.M. is from Athens, which I, I'm like, to me, Athens is like most Isley. You will not find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. And that's because I'm a Georgia Tech fan. My dad went to Tech, so I grew up uh, loving Georgia Tech. And Athens is where the University of Georgia is based. So I am... anti-Athens, like, 
I don't go there. I don't fuck around with it. Even if somebody's got a ticket for the football game, I don't go. Not my style. I used to go when uh, I was in college and had friends that were in college there, and I used to go party and shit, but Athens ain't my deal. But I still represent REM, because they're pretty cool. And I did, uh, I was a server at a restaurant in Midtown Atlanta called The Vortex, and I served Michael Stipe one night, and he was a fucking weird dude, guys. Like, fucking weird. But, super cool, and left me a really good tip, and, uh... Yeah, it was it was it was an interesting experience. The um, the front patio of the vortex was directly across the street from this gay black club called Bulldogs. And whenever uh, there were businessmen in my restaurant that were bothering me, like guys from out of town that were like jerks, I would say, "Hey, you guys should go over to Bulldogs later tonight. It's like a sports bar, and they do really good late night shit." So I'd send them to the gay black bar, and you know they'd come back and yell at me sometimes. But Michael Stipe and his boys were sitting on the patio, just scoping it out like the whole time. Like that's where their attention was. It was it was pretty funny. But anyway, back to Superman number two, and this is a, a really good comic book issue, and one of my favorite books that I've read in a long time. I'm a big fan of Superman, and I really like the dynamic with his son, John. And this issue is basically about uh, John being trained by, by his dad. And John is just starting to learn his powers, and Superman takes him to where a sub is, like, stuck in some ice, or the engine's not working or something like that, and he gets... Uh, John to... Basically, he, he says, sit here and watch how I handle things. So Superman... Fucking fixes the propeller on the sub, uh, flies on deck, you know, talks to the crew, and they thank him for helping him and all all that shit. And all of a sudden, a huge, like, big squid creature from underneath kind of uh, upends the sub, and Superman and the sub crew go flying, and his son John is watching all this, and now John has to step in. Superman's like, John, uh, I need your help with your heat vision. You gotta blast this fucking sucker in this, uh, there, there's like... It's an organic creature, but there's, like, a device that is controlling it. So Superman tells Jonathan to blast the device with his uh, with his heat vision, and then Superman is coaching him on how to narrow down his heat vision and uh, focus it on a specific point. And it works, and they uh, disa- Jonathan disables the device that is controlling the creature. And his... Uh, his jacket comes off in the process, and he's wearing a Superman hoodie underneath, and Superman says, uh, so you're wearing that shield for what, Superboy? And his son says, no, sir, a lot of people wear Wonder Woman symbols, some even wear the Batman symbol, I just wanted to feel super like you. So he didn't even give his son this costume, his son picked it up in like a thrift store or something like that, it's like a, a zip-up Superman shirt that he's sporting. Um, but I really liked this interaction between the two of them. And uh, they fly back home, and they're hanging out with Lois. And, you know, she's proud of her son because he has owned up to killing her pet cat on accident uh, in the first issue when his heat vision went haywire. The issue ends with, uh, well, actually, just before the end, uh, Jonathan is sitting on a tree branch with his, uh, his friend that he has just met, this uh, chick, that this girl that lives near him, and... The branch breaks, and Jonathan falls off, and apparently is injured. She carries him, well, she has uh, her grandpa carry Jonathan back to the house, and Superman uh, tells him, like, look, we don't need medical attention, we'll take care of it, and the guy's like, no, I know the doctor, I'll take him, and Superman's like, I got this, leave now. Obviously, they don't know that he is Superman. Um, So, Superman says he's going to take his son to the one place where he can get answers, and that is the Fortress of Solitude. However, there's some shit going on in the Fortress of Solitude. 
some of Jonathan's blood was spilled on the um, during the battle with the sea squid, uh, the sea monster, and this blood has been detected by some sort of intelligence that has picked up the blood, flown back to the Fortress of Solitude, and the book ends with the Eradicator in full form in the Fortress of Solitude saying, We are here. We will save you too, Kal-El. So I guess this Eradicator is going to try to bring back this Earth Superman who has died, paving the way for the old Superman to come back. I fucking love the Eradicator. Uh, he was one of my uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the original Death of Superman storyline, so I'm really looking forward to seeing his interaction with our old Superman, who was the one that previously died in the Death of Superman storyline, and he's familiar with the Eradicator, so... He has apparently taken Jonathan to the Fortress of Solitude, where I assume in the next issue we're going to have a run-in between the L family and the Eradicator. So I'm looking forward to that. If you're a comic book fan and you're not reading Superman right now, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. You should read this book. Uh, written by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason, with uh, artwork by Patrick Gleason and Mick Gray and John Callis. Uh, these guys are doing a really good job. I, I love the storyline. I really like the artwork in the book. So it receives my recommendation. Uh, now for Batman number two. Batman number two was another book that I really enjoyed this past week. I'm digging the writing by Tom King and the artwork by David Finch on pencils with Matt Banning and Danny Meeky on inks and Jordi Belair on colors. The artwork really pops in this book. I think it's a very good aesthetic for Batman and I think the uh, artist team is doing a great job on that. But what I'm really enjoying is the writing by Tom King. Each character has their own individual voice. And a lot of the time with writers, um, sometimes the characters just sound so similar. Sometimes it's the writer's voice that comes through, and it doesn't sound like characters speaking as they would. In this book, everyone uh, everyone has their own individual uh, speaking patterns, and um, I really enjoy it. So... Batman, Commissioner Gordon, uh, the new heroes of Gotham and Gotham Girl, even Solomon Grundy, they all make sense in their motivations, the things that they say and do. But this book started out really well. We got uh, Batman taking on uh, Solomon Grundy. Well, first we got Solomon Grundy uh, taking on Gotham and Gotham Girl, and then Batman shows up at the end and takes him down, and he tells Gotham, hey, look, man, you're doing a good job. I've been watching you and paying attention, but... You need to be better. Uh, I just stopped Solomon Grundy because you were a second and a half from intercepting him, but he was less than a second away from trampling this poor man laying on the ground over here. And Gotham hadn't even seen this man, so Batman had to step in and save a guy because Gotham was, you know, literally less than a second too late on doing it. But in Batman's world, that one second makes all the fucking difference. We've got a nice little scene here with Commissioner Gordon 
uh, sitting down with a guy who admits to planting the bomb in the truck that was transporting Grundy to Arkham, and that's how Grundy got out. Uh, the man then stabs himself in the neck and tells Commissioner Gordon, the monster men are coming. The monster men are coming. Aren't they strange? We got Bruce uh, dancing with a beautiful young woman at a ball being hosted at Wayne Manor, uh, which Alfred has made him attend because Bruce didn't want to go. And now Alfred's like, look, you got like 200 people out there that have been waiting a fucking hour for Bruce Wayne. You need to get out there. So Bruce is dancing with some hottie, and he sees the uh, bat signal out the window, and he's like, yo, I gotta go. Now, my question is, don't people notice that Bruce Wayne seems to always disappear when the bat signal appears? Now, I know that's probably uh, a small gripe to have with the comic, but yeah, he's always dipping out. But he goes to see uh, Commissioner Gordon and Gotham and Gotham Girls show up, and uh, Batman tells Gordon, look, uh, they're with me. Um, they're new on the scene, but they want to help. And then, of course, Batman dips off at the end, and uh, they, Batman, uh, Gotham and Gotham girls say, Where is he? How could he have disappeared like that? We have x-ray vision. We can see everything. That's impossible. And Go- uh, Gordon replies, Nothing's impossible. You're fucking talking about Batman right here. And then the book ends with uh, a seemingly crazy motherfucker looking at some photos of himself being shown to him by a man that he refers to as Professor Strange. Professor Strange, in this last uh, page of the book, is apparently working with Miss Waller on some new projects. We got Hugo Strange and Amanda Waller teaming up. That shit can't be good. But I really like these new heroes. They've introduced Gotham and Gotham Girl. We know literally nothing about them, not where they came from, not their identities, not how old they are, not what the fuck they're doing in town. But, uh, again, I really like the writing by uh, Tom King and the artwork by David Finch and the rest of his crew. So I'm definitely giving Batman number two and the uh, Batman series my thumbs up. But now on to my favorite book of the week, and I can't believe I'm saying that about this title, Aquaman number two. And unfortunately, I just don't have any cool theme music to play for Aquaman because there ain't shit like that out there. But this book is written by Dan Abnett. And uh, I'm liking what he's done with the character. I've never been a huge Aquaman fan, but I'm really digging it right now. So he, Dan Abnett's the writer, Scott Eaton on pencils, Wayne Falker on inkers. I hope I said his name right. I'm, I'm sure I didn't. He's doing inks. And Gabe Eltaeb, again, I'm sure I'm not saying his right. He's doing colors, and the colors are what really jump out at me uh, in this book, in the artwork. Um, the lines are very, uh, are very clean as far as the pencils and the inks go, but the colors really uh, do a good job of setting the atmosphere and jumping off the page at you. So we've got uh, the very beginning of this book is a a quick rehash of Aquaman killing Black Manta for killing Aquaman's father. Only it's not Black Manta, it's actually his father. So that happened years ago, and then we flash back to present day. There's a battle between Arthur and Black Manta. Uh, Arthur's got a fucking spear sticking out of him. And he removes it in a pretty brutal way that's sort of reminiscent of the uh, Lethal Weapon films when Martin Riggs would have to pop his fucking shoulder out of joint. This shit's pretty brutal. But he gets that spear out, and he and Black Manta are just going at it, man. Like, they are throwing some blows. And Aquaman's trying to talk some sense into Black Manta, saying, Look, we're trapped in an endless loop. You want to kill me because of something horrible that I did, which I didn't really intend to do because I thought it was you, but I get it. But where's this going to leave us? Where are we going to go? And, uh, you know, Aquaman says, I'm done with this rivalry with you. I'm out. I'm, I'm, I've had it. And um, 
Black Mana replies, that's not the way it works. I'm, I'm out for the extermination of you and everything you stand for. So he's not one who's just going to bury the hatchet. He's like, look, motherfucker, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to destroy your life and the people you care for and everything you've built. And uh, Aquaman uh, basically gets Black Manta where he needs him. Or, you know, where Black Manta is dead to rights, basically. Aquaman's got the trident on him saying, look, this is how, it can, this is how it's going to have to end. I'm going to have to kill you, or we can just, you know, live our own lives and be done with this. Uh, Black Manta replies, look, either way, you lose morally. Like, if you kill me, you lose, because Aquaman's not about that life. If you don't kill me, I'm going to destroy you and everything you work for, so you're going to lose that way. So then Aquaman says, you know what? Go ahead, do it. He hands the trident to, uh, to Black Manta and says, look, if you're going to kill me, go ahead. But I'll tell you this, it's never going to be enough. The hatred you have for me is never going to be satisfied by anything you can do to me. So Black Manta fucking... Gives it up, man. He tosses the fucking uh, spear away. Aquaman has Black Manta led away in cuffs. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, how long is this motherfucker going to stay incarcerated? Like, I'm thinking about Negan and the Walking Dead books when he's locked up for like a year and a half. Uh, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, Aquaman needs a a rival. He needs a bad guy. So I'm like, okay, he's probably only going to be incarcerated for a couple of issues and then come back. No, the motherfucker gets broken out of the prison transport at the very end of this. So in the Batman book, we had Solomon Grundy having just been gotten, having just been escaped from a prison transport. Now we got Black Manta in the last page of this book being uh, busted out of his prison transport as well. Fucking convenient right there. They need to put some better guards on these transports, I guess. But uh, yeah, good writing, good characterization um, by Dan Abnett. And I'm looking forward to Aquaman number three. And that's some shit that I legitimately... Never thought I would be saying. But good job on this creative team. I liked the first book so much that I added it to my pull list. So I will be getting Aquaman every week from now on. And now to our final discussion book from this past week. We have, and you can hear me unbagging it right now. Yes, I do bag and board all my comics. We have The Walking Dead, number 156, titled Queen and King. I really enjoyed this issue of The Walking Dead for two different reasons. Number one, it is a Negan-centric issue, and Negan's a badass. I like me some Negan, and this book was all about him and uh, the Whisperers. Didn't show Rick or any of our, uh, you know, our heroes. And, you know, I don't need to go through everything that happened in the book, but basically uh, it ended in a manner in in which I'd been predicting it would end. Um, we have him going back and forth with Alpha, trying to tell her that she's not as strong as she thinks she is, and that she needs to, uh, exert herself more. Uh, one thing that really made me, uh, like the character of Negan even more is that we all know how fucked up Negan is and how crazy he is, but there's a scene in the book where two of the Whisperers are trying, two of the male Whisperers are about to rape, uh, one of the females, and Negan puts a stop to it, and they tell him, Look, she didn't ask you for help. These are just men living their lives. This is normal. This is natural. This is nature. 
it doesn't involve you, so just don't involve yourself in it. Let it happen. And Negan's like, look, you sick fucks. You can't let people rape your women. That's not how it works. And uh, this leads to kind of a big existential um, crisis, sort of, for Alpha, because she had allowed that to happen to her daughter. So she says that it's under the, uh, the guise of making people stronger. Either you're strong enough to fight off your attackers, or you learn to be strong enough to defend yourself, or you learn to be strong enough to develop coping mechanisms to deal with it. And Negan's like, you people are pretty fucked up. Um, and he kind of gets her to see his point. And towards the end of the book, again, spoilers here, towards the end of the book, she's kind of agreeing with him. She's saying, I'm not as strong as I think I am. And uh, she tells Negan on the next to last page, maybe you do, oh, it's not the next to last page, it was pretty close. She says, you know what, maybe you do belong here. And he says, maybe. And right after that, he fucking slashes her throat, but good. Like, this is a, a good action panel by Charlie Adler. This shows a deep cut. And he just, uh, he gets to hacking. And the very last page is a full-page panel of him holding Alpha's head that he has just hacked off and saying, wait until Rick gets a look at you. So I wonder, what the fuck is Negan's game here? Is he going to go back and say, look, I killed this crazy chick for you. You should let me into the community, and I'm one of you guys now because I helped out. Is he going to become the head of the Whisperers and ride into town with a huge pack of motherfuckers ready to do some damage and carrying Alpha's head on a spike and saying, look what I did to her, now imagine what I can do to you. Damn, I don't know what's going to happen, but I loved the fact that it was all about Negan and I really liked the end result. Because I was like, how is this shit going to play out with him and Alpha? Obviously, he's acting like he's romantically attracted in, in her, but I'm sure he's not. Like, I know he can't be. And he even goes into that a little bit in this issue. He says that uh, he lost someone close to him right before the zombie apocalypse, and since then he's had no emotions, no nothing. He just does what has to be done, and it's not about what what feels good or anything like that. Now, that could be bullshit. Maybe he was just blowing smoke up uh, up her ass, up Alpha's ass, to, uh, you know, endear himself to her a little bit. Or maybe that's the truth. Maybe that's why he went kind of psycho. But, um... Yeah, he's a pretty ruthless motherfucker, but I loved him defending that chick that was getting raped, and I liked him uh, hacking the shit out of Alpha, because I knew there was no romantic relationship there. He was using her for something, and I guess he was using her for her fucking cranium, which is weird. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's The Walking Dead, and as I'm looking at my comics here, I realize I need to reference back to something. Earlier, I was talking about Dick Grayson, and I said I would discuss him during Batman number two, and I failed to do that, but... The, what I was going to say is there's one panel in there where um, Batman mentions Dick Grayson. He's talking about uh, how he almost died in the previous issue, but Gotham and Gotham Girls saved him. And he tells Alfred he was prepared to die, but he knows that he is going to die in this line of work. Like, he's not going to live old and have a happy ending and all. And he goes, and when I die, Dick will take over for me. And then he will die too. So, number one, it's uh, the first time I've seen Bruce really acknowledging, I guess, that that's the plan. Like, Dick is next in line. Now, that might have happened before, but I just haven't, I don't recall seeing that spelled out that way. Um, so he's specifically saying, like, Dick is the next Batman, but he's also acknowledging that Dick's going to die too, no matter what, that he's put his adopted son in, harm, in harm's way, basically. So, um, yeah, again, good writing, good characterization uh, by Tom King on that series. I'm really looking forward to the rest of it. And be sure to join me back here next week when I will let you know my thoughts on all the comics that I'm about to pick up in a couple of hours here.
But that's all we got for comics for the week. And now it is time for our Baller of the Week! This is the first time we have a repeat Baller of the Week, but this week I'm giving it to my boy Julio Tehran, who I noted in this space a few weeks ago for his two-game dominance over the New York Mets. Well, his last two games haven't been so great, but he did pitch last night in the Major League Baseball All-Star Game as the only representative from the Atlanta Braves, and he had a perfect inning. Twelve pitches thrown, nine strikes, three balls, three outs, no base runners. So Julio Tehran, who is under team control for less than $6 million a year, you are the Baller of the Week, and I hope you are the Baller of the Week for the Atlanta Braves on many, many more occasions. If they trade you, I'm going to be super pissed. Julio's my boy. He's only like 25 years old, and he's fucking slinging it out there, guys. ERA under three. His uh, walks and hits per innings pitched is fourth best in the league right now. It was second best until his last two rough starts, but Julio's the fucking man, so i got to give it to him. While we are on... The Major League Baseball game, I will say that Major League Baseball is our hated buster of the week because of the All-Star game. Look, this is supposed to be an exhibition, okay? National League against American League, guys having fun and all that shit. A chance for uh, fans to see some of their favorite players playing together when that would never be an option. But since they made the All-Star game a winner... Um, the home field for the World Series. Like, if you don't know what I'm talking about, basically, a little over a decade ago, they determined that if the National League won the All-Star Game, then the National League would have home field advantage during the World Series. Same for the American League. If they win the All-Star Game, they get home field advantage. That's bullshit. You have an exhibition game that doesn't count for anything, determining who gets four games instead of three in the World Series in their home park. That's horrible. The best, the best All-Star Games are when the guys had fun. When uh, Barry Bonds picked up uh, Homeboy for robbing him of a, uh, a home run. When we had Larry Walker flipping around his batting helmet and batting right-handed instead of left-handed. When we had uh, Randy Johnson throwing at John Crook and throwing the ball to the fucking backstop. That's when it was fun. You're asking managers to come in with a, a roster that's not guys who have played together. With pitchers who are supposed to get like an inning or two of work... Um, that's not how you manage a baseball game. You think David Ortiz would have gotten pulled after two at-bats if um, in, in a regular season game? Fuck no. If you need to win that game, David Ortiz is staying in the entire fucking time. He's your designated hitter. He doesn't even have to play first base, and you pull him after two at-bats in a game that actually has meaning? No, nah, that's bullshit. So Major League Baseball... You guys need to fucking get with the program, find out a different way to do home field advantage, either do it by the team that has the best record, or fucking alternate it like you used to do. But this all-star game bullshit, this has to end. Y'all are my motherfucking buster ass, busters of the week, you shady Major League Baseball assholes. And I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week, guys. I appreciate you joining me as always. Again, don't forget to check us out on our social media pages on Facebook and Twitter. You can always find this podcast on the What's Kraken feeds on iTunes or SoundCloud, or you can find it on the Droids Canada feeds on droidscanada.com or on their feeds on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. Don't forget to check out the Droids Canada shows. Uh, they got the Droids Canada flagship program. They got Drinking in the Park, Doctor Who Dark Journey, and Real or Jabroni Wrestling Podcast. 
Also, don't forget to check out our good friends over at Mark Who 42 uh, they have a great uh, Doctor Who-centric podcast, but they also cover all manner of geek-related nonsense. And I will be hanging out with them this weekend, again, at Infinity Con in Lake City, Florida. So please come check us out if you're anywhere in that area. Don't forget to check out our friends over at the Dave and Creech Show. That is a podcast by Dave Sheridan, who you all know from Scary Movie and The Walking Deceased. And my good buddy C.J. Creech, who has done innumerable podcast with the walking dead cast and lots of other cool people so be sure to check out those other podcasts while you're listening to some good shit out there and um one that i'll be listening to you know i'm a fan of the guys over at bald move they're now doing a game of thrones retrospective where they're re-watching it from the beginning with all the insight that they currently have from six episodes six seasons of the show so their uh new season one episode one podcast came out this week and i'll be checking that out later i haven't had a chance to get into it yet but uh, those are the podcast peeps that I listen to on a regular basis, so check them out if you would be so kind. Again, check out the Heroes on Hand website or Facebook page for all of our upcoming appearances, and uh, shoot us a line on any of our social media outlets. Thanks again for joining us. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week, and I will holler at you next Wednesday. Peace! <laughs>